It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. And, you know, financial planning isn't all about just numbers, right? So true. Um, and some, some, some people have this question thrown at them. Do your finances stress you out? There's a growing number of so-called financial therapists that want to help, and it's due in part to the rising popularity of behavioral finance, which is an academic field that holds that people often don't make rational economic decisions, so financial planners are borrowing techniques from psychologists and other specialists in our emotional lives. Their goal? To help clients get in touch with the often messy feelings behind their relationship with money. Well, it's interesting because this article is from the Wall Street Journal, and I kept thinking to myself, goodness, isn't that what Linda and Doug and Deborah have been doing uh, for the last, uh, what, couple, three decades? Yeah, we could spend time tonight unscrambling the confusion, but you're exactly right, Deborah. The so-called financial planners through the last three decades have really been money managers, ones who only deal with the money aspect and managing the money and the behavioral side, the true questions of stress of uh, of how do I handle my inner feelings, that has left it's been not part of what most people who call themselves financial planners have been doing. But on the other hand, Linda, I would say that's 90% of what you have done for the last 25 years, at least at our office, right? Yes, indeed. That's exactly. That sounds familiar. (laughs) That's what I've been doing for years. Yeah, because we've been a team. You've been handling the emotional aspects, the personal side of clients' issues, children, divorce, death, and so forth. I handle the financial, the money aspects and everything. And now Deborah, of course... Doing a little bit of both and a lot of planning and, and a lot of that planning incorporating a lot of this this stuff that they were talking about in the articles is a new thing that advisors are being trained on. And this 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 being advised or, or trained to be able to advise in things that change in people's lives, like through divorce and job loss and other transitions. Well, we've been giving that kind of full, comprehensive um I guess, breadth of financial planning for, for three decades. And, and that's what makes this, I think, a real success story for, for our clients who have been with us all that time. We have. We have. They, the article called it a combo approach, becoming a hot topic within the industry. Uh, but there are some of my peers, including myself, that have strong reservations because 
really to go ahead and take what uh, I'll give you an example. Some of the new designations that are out there. Okay. Registered life planner. Now hmm. that's a new one. Hmm. You can people take a two day workshop and they are now a registered life planner. Costs eight thousand dollars to take the course, and you now can advertise yourself as a registered life planner or certified financial transitionist. You can take a one day course and. It's going to cost you $7,000, and you can hang out a shingle saying you are a certified financial transitionist. Or another one was the financial therapy certificate, which you can get for $6,800 by taking six courses. And, and so, <laughs> Hold so, on, then this one, the financial behavior specialist, that one will cost you $13. $13,000. Uh, $13,000. $13, Excuse me. <laughs> right. And what do you do to get it? You take a three-day workshop over a two-year training period. The point is that this is what we have been doing at Lewis Financial Management. We have been getting into the transition areas, helping people decide, what do I do with divorce that I'm in the middle of. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. It's a real testament to those like you, Doug, who were early financial planners, came into this industry, had a vision of how it could be a little bit different than the brokerage world, added to it this whole full-fledged financial planning, comprehensively dealing with someone's situation, And maybe this is now just a tangible result that you need to know more than just money, whether you're the advisor or you're the client. Very good, Deborah. I think you hit a bullseye there because the the individual who goes to uh, Merrill Lynch or Edward Jones or any of the large brokerage firms out there and gets a financial planner and comes away and says, gee, my money is being handled and managed, but... Nobody asked any questions about me. Or where do I go for now some tax advice? Or what about my estate? Or cash flow planning? Right. Or insurance? And or so, any of these yeah, other so things? They feel, they feel a gap. And as you say, the gap is being met by this new breed of professional or pseudo-professional, which uh, I'm on the side of, no, what you re- really need is a true certified financial planner who's going to give you all sides of the financial world. So Succinctly said. Very good. And it's true that uh, advisors can improve their listening skills and their awareness of emotional baggage that affects clients' financial decisions. decisions. But the average planner needs to realize his or her limitations. And uh, for comprehensive financial plans and continu- continuing advice, if individuals should make sure that their advisor has extensive experience and holds a major designation, such as being a certified financial planner. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. We have two callers on hold. Let's go ahead and take, uh, let's say, Jason's call first. Okay, Jason, this is Doug Lewis, Linda Lewis, Deborah Lewis. We're the Lewis family ready to answer your questions tonight. Hello? Hello, are you there, Jason? Yes, I am. How are you doing? Yeah, let's find out how we can help you. Uh, I had a question about um, HSAs and Roth IRAs. 
Um, I have a 401k at work, and I, I contribute enough to get the maximum contribution from my employer. Um, so then what's left is my Roth IRA that I contribute to, and then I have a high deductible because I have a, um, I, I, I guess the healthcare plan allows me to put into an HSA savings plan. But I'm always torn between what to max out, the Roth IRA or the HSA savings plan first. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions, and then I'll probably shock you with my answer. But my first, uh, for, tell me a little bit about yourself, Jason. How old are you? I'm uh, 41. 41. Married or single? I'm uh, divorced. Divorced. Uh, All right. Yeah. Anybody that uh, living at home with you, or are you by yourself? I have a six-year-old daughter. All right. You. All right. So it's you and a six-year-old daughter. All right. What's your income? Uh, right now, it's about ninety grand a year. About ninety thousand. Yes. All right. And uh, your expenses, what do you think it costs for you and your daughter to live during the year? Uh, you know, that's bad. I should know it. <laughs> I would roughly say about, well, are you including housing in that? My, my yep. house payment? Or, yep, everything. Uh, Clothing, uh, vacation, uh, gifts, everything. Wow, uh, about 30 grand, I think. The last time I did a budget with okay. that, I should be married. <laughs> All right. So before taxes, you've got $60,000 left over. And then after taxes, we don't know what you've got, but we'll say probably you've got 20000 left over. Now, how much have you accumulated so far in your 401k? Uh, last check right now, it was at 19000 I actually, um, there's a point where I didn't have a lot. And so I, uh, I had to start all over again. That was about four or five years ago. All right. And how much have you accumulated in non 401k in personal investments outside of your retirement? Uh, that would be 7000 in the Roth. All right. And how about outside of the Roth and outside of the 401k in just plain old mutual funds that you own directly or stocks or bonds or money market? Uh, I would have none of those. I just have the HSA. Okay. So my answer is very simple. My answer is very simple, Jason. You want to know, should you max, should you contribute more to your 401k or your HSA? And I'm going to tell you, no, you shouldn't, neither one of them. Right. All right. Yeah, you should know. The, the right answer is you should be contributing the maximum you can into a non-retirement account. Yeah, you, you need to add something that you own outside of retirement accounts. So it's good that you're, you're contributing to the 401k up to the employer match. That's great. You're not throwing away... Uh, free money. Actually, I think he said he's going all the way up to the maximum. Are you going beyond your matching level? Yeah, I'm uh, going to the max of their max level. Of their match. I in, yeah, I don't put in any more. Okay, so Good. that's great. So that's great. Now, now at the, the second part of your question, though, the answer in, you know, just this brief getting to know you would be, well, with zero in personal you want to have something impersonal, something that's outside of retirement accounts, something that when you own, it's going to balance so that when you take money out at the end of your career, you're now taking money out of a retirement account and a personal portfolio. So, and I think wanna, what, yeah, I think I, I think to tie up the, the the whole advice issue, number one, write down our phone number, 919-872-7000. That's 919 919- Eight seven two seven thousand. Also, write down the name of our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. And then number three, call the office after you get off the air 
and schedule an appointment to meet with us. And then we'll really tie get into each of your numbers because this is what we do all week long. That's right. So I'll pick up your message after the show. Um, my name is Deborah, and, and then we'll just talk and go forward, Jason, and, and go through the steps on how to get this um, meeting your needs. I mean, you really need to have something on the personal side. And I want to commend you, Jason. You're a great dad. And I know, you know, divorce isn't easy, but you have your life and you still have your job and you have your precious little daughter. And so uh, it, it would be great for you to uh, spend time going over the expenses and looking at your whole world so you can maximize what you're doing, you know, at this stage going forward. All right. You think that's a good answer, Jason, for where we're headed so far? Did that help you? Yes, it does. Very good. Looking forward to meeting with you face-to-face. This is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. Call me at 919-872-7000. Well, you know, Doug, Linda, one of the most popular questions that I would say that comes up on a weekly basis is, should I take my Social Security now? Or should I wait? Because I keep hearing there's some benefit to waiting. Yeah, you know, the common thought is better to wait because you'll get a big Social Security check. But really, I can think of seven reasons to take Social Security sooner, not later. Yeah, a lot of that popular advice has been just, hey, delay it as long as possible and and then make the check as high as possible. But there really are some real good reasons. Linda, what would be the first reason to take Social Security sooner? Keep cashing those checks. During the three or four decades of your working years, the majority of us will receive a steady paycheck every two weeks for about the same amount as the previous paycheck. So when you're transitioning to retirement, it, is, it inspires enough anxiety, and the thought of giving up that reliable income stream only makes it worse, especially if the alternative is to begin depleting your precious nest egg. So a regular Social Security, and I say regular because it comes every month, and it will not only help the ease of your move into retirement, but it'll help you feel more comfortable as you're spending a sustainable amount each month. All right, now, what you're talking about, Linda, is exactly what we were just talking about. That's the psychological aspect of it. But before we go to the other seven, the other six reasons to take Social Security early, let's take Brian's call. Brian, this is Doug Lewis, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planners. Linda Lewis, how can we help you this evening? I've got a question. Uh, for somebody who's a, over 50 and you have the, uh, you have a 401k at work and a Roth 401k, uh, which one do you, and I, and somebody who maxes out as much money, which is the 22.5 on the retirement side, which one do you, would you say to go into first? Would you go all well, 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 again, uh, I, I'm going to have to. Uh, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to have to approach it. Yeah, I'm going to have to approach it, Brian, the same way as we approach it with Jason. There is no sure. one answer for anybody. For everybody, right. uh, tell me a little bit. You say you're over fifty. Yeah, fifty-four. You're fifty-four years old. Married or yeah. single? Married. Married. Any children at home? No. All right. Uh, both of you working? You and your wife? No, just well, my wife's part time is. All right. So basically, it's a one-income family, but no children. 
All right. Uh, children, my daughter's in college. All right. Oh, okay. Good. Okay, now let's go over to what you've accumulated on both sides of the equation. All right. What have you accumulated in the 401k so far? In the 401k, the money that, that I work with has got about close to $225,000. All right. That's in the 401k. Yeah, and, and that's part of the vested money, too. Well, it should be all vested, I would think. Yeah, it's all vested. Yeah, because it's everything that you contribute out of your paycheck is yours, and anything, right. most employers, if they match you, uh, it's yours too. Good question, Doug. What is the match, Brian? The match was uh, 25 cents up to 4% of your income. All right, and how much are you presently co- contributing? Uh, I am, I'm a commission person, so it fluctuates monthly. But each year, I put in the maximum. All right. right. Let's go over to the non-retirement portfolio. How much is in the non-retirement, non-401k? Uh, probably close to 400 grand. All right. So 400000 is invested outside of retirement monies. Yeah. All right. Where, how is that money spread as far as, like, what's it in? Was it is it in stocks or bonds or mutual funds or CDs? Mutual funds mainly. I'm sorry? Mutual funds mutual mainly. Funds. Okay, good. All right. So now, and over in the 401k side, how is that spread? It's all mutual funds. All right. So now your question is, give I us your... No home mortgage, house is paid for. The question... I have about another four or 500 grand in a SEP plan that I funded when I was younger. All right. So you have 400,000 in a SEP IRA. No, no. No, I have, on top of the 401k, I have a separate plan. It's convoluted. All right. Well, let me say this. Here's what you should do. Okay. So, if the yeah, was the question 401k versus Roth 401k? Yes. Okay. Right. The okay. same plan. Okay. All right. Don't. Should I fund everything in the 401k and take the tax benefit? No. No. Okay. You do not want to go ahead and let the tax tail wag the dog. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, DougAndLinda.com. The dog needs oh, to whack. Okay. The dog needs to whack the tail. The tail doesn't wag the dog. <laughs> That's Don't. a great statement, isn't it, Brian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, now, now, it just, I mean, the light just went on like, boom. All right. Yay. Here's what you need to do. I should max out the 401 side of it. I mean, the raw side of it, and the uh, 401k, and just up to four percent on the 401k side. No, that's wrong too. Okay. All right. You're too old. You're too old to get what you need as benefit from the from the Roth. You need to do the pay yourself first over into the personal side. And here's why. Okay. If I if I add up the four hundred that you've got and the two twenty five. Yep. And did you say there's anything else in investments besides that six hundred and twenty five thousand? No. Okay, so you're at six hundred and twenty-five thousand accumulated capital base right now, and you're you're fifty-four, which is a very crucial age because you're too old for the benefit of a of a of a Roth, and you're too young to think about Social Security, and yet you are moving rapidly 
into what we call financial independence to be able to possibly retire or become financially independent before age 59 and a half. Okay. And that is crucial because if you can achieve enough accumulation, and this is what we do in our office, this is why what we've been doing for 30 years, we've been targeting clients to get there early so that you have the choice. And let's say you're 58 years old, Four years from now, when you can when when you've made it, at that time, the last thing you want to do is to go ahead and say, "Oh, I think I'll start taking income from my 401k that you're going to roll over into an IRA because you'll face the tax penalty of ordinary income, state income plus 10% penalty tax." Then you're going to want to have the maximum over in the personal portfolio. And the question that you might ask is, well, why would I not be putting it into the Roth IRA? Because it has no real ability to be blended with the personal portfolio for safety, for diversification, for asset allocation, all the things that we want to do. And to, and to see growth. Because in addition to that, when he was when Doug was saying, don't let the tax tail wag the dog, you have to think all the dollars that come out of retirement accounts are going to be coming out at ordinary income. Correct. If you have an ability to accumulate, let's say over the next four, eight, 12 years, enough in a portfolio to where your blended amount of money is coming from your retirement account and your non-retirement account actually have less of a tax strike against it then you want to do it. You want to maximize that. Let me ask you a question. If you were to ask yourself, of course, you're in a feast or famine profession. Uh, that's what commission-based is. We call it feast or famine. One, right. one month you're famine, you're, you're famine, next month you're feasting. But by, right. the, en- by the end of the year, yeah. how much are you? have you been able to add to the two portfolios combined at, uh, above Okay. What's your projected income? Well, he's already given us that, 225. Oh. No, 90. No, that. Oh, I'm sorry, 90,000. No, no. no. Oh, we never got that. No, we never got the income. 200,000. Okay. (laughs) All right. So back to the question how much of your projected income will you be able to set aside by the time the year is ended? Oh, easily half. Okay. 100,000? Yeah, probably. Then All 75 right. of it needs to be in the personal portfolio, which means, you know, and six to up, 8,000 per month or by per, I guess by paycheck. If you're, if you're commission based, it would be every time you have a check, have it come in and be a percentage of. Okay. We, we do it on what we call a pay yourself first basis. And that's my right. point. If you go ahead uh, and again, I'll tell you the same question that we told Jason, write down our phone number. I don't know if you heard it. The phone number at the office. 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Mm-hmm. And go to our website. You will see the three of us in action because we have videos there that you can get to know us face to face and schedule an appointment to meet with us. And we will go ahead and show you using a pay yourself first accumulation method, not only what the dollars will be, but what investments specifically you should have. In other words, how to divide that. We will analyze each of your mutual funds on both sides of the equation, and then we'll tell you what we think you should do and how you have the highest probability of achieving it. And I want to commend you, um, Brian, for accumulating because your diligence over time, you know, working hard uh, through good times and bad, and because of your habit of just, you know, 
contributing to the retirement, contributing to your personal side, and being able to sort all of this out and have direction because the next step after working is retirement, right? So you're in the pre-retirement stage. But like Deborah was saying, we would like to see you maximize what you're doing and be in the direction that you should be so that you can forecast financial independence in the future. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling, Brian. I think we probably should have just put a little tagline of explaining what we meant about not letting the tax tail wag the dog with regard to the Roth. Yes. Uh, the Roth IRA, and a lot of companies are really putting this as an option. There's nothing wrong with it for people who have a really hard time saving money. And the benefit, the only benefit that I see is if I don't see it, I can't spend it. Yes. But the tax benefit doesn't come into play initially because what you're doing is you're you're contributing you're after you've paid taxes. You pay those taxes ahead right. of time. And, and the incentive there is if you're very young, under 40, it's going to make sense. You're, that after-tax dollar left invested for 20 to 30 years will now be going tax deferred and will come out with taxes already paid on it. It's cash. The part that comes out tax free is not on your first part because you already paid part. That's right. <laughs> it's the growth. That's right. And, but when, and you're for 50, gro- yeah, when you're 54 55, years right. old, you don't have time to go in. Right. And, and Theoretically, you have four years for growth to happen. It's never going to happen. It's not going to be worth it. And don't waste it. So what we have done in our office, we have run analyses repeatedly, and we've come to the conclusion, if you are over 40, don't contribute to a Roth. If you are under 40, yes, then you'll have the, right. the years. And it's always balanced by that. If the capacity to save is there, then absolutely do it just outside of a retirement account. Own it outright. There's a whole other side to investing, the personal portfolio. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Call me at 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. But Doug, Linda, uh, let's go back to our seven reasons that we had come up with as to why you might want to take Social Security sooner versus waiting till later. So initially we said... Keep cashing those checks. In other words, that's a psychological reason. You were used to getting a paycheck. Now, continue getting a paycheck. paycheck, (laughs) Even though it's a smaller one than waiting. But the second one that I can think of is the question of, well, what about the penalty for working and collecting? Now here, most people are aware of the fact that if you collect Social Security before your full retirement age, they call that the FRA, then There's a certain level of other income that you can earn that's going to reduce the Social Security checks. But the reduction isn't as bad as it might seem. Now, we have to note that the reduction only applies to the recipient's earnings. A lot of people don't know that. That's right. Yeah, it does not refer to your spouse's pay. So it's just earned income. So she can earn a hundred thousand a year if you and you can go ahead and take start, that, take your start taking your social security age sixty-two. Another thing that most people don't realize is that formula is only earned income. You can earn an unlimited amount of interest income, capital gains income, pension payments, IRA distributions. None of that goes into that. So I don't think we need to worry about the penalty in Jane Broadstrokes. Now we have Right. Specific yeah. situations in right. our office. Right. That we, but that's so the these, second reason that I can think of why you might want to take it earlier. Yeah. 
uh, a third reason might be this thing that we often hear, Doug, you and I in meetings. Well, what about this 8% if I wait? What about this 8% gain? Well, many proponents of waiting to take Social Security point out that recipients receive an 8% increase in their check for every year that they delay. For instance, if a beneficiary could get $2,000 per month at age 65, if they waited until turning turning age 66, they would give... Uh, they would get a check of twenty one sixty per month. Yeah, you so, often hear this eight percent, and you perceive that oh, the actual return provided by waiting is eight percent. But by waiting one year to get Social Security checks, what happens? You miss out on a year's worth of slightly smaller payments. So yeah. the actual net gain by waiting depends on a lot of factors, including your lifespan, inflation, and investment performance. It is not a simple. Uh, 8% more every time I wait. So that's the third reason you want to take it early. Yeah, the fourth reason, you just don't know when you're going to die. The hypothetical return on delaying benefits rises and falls with your life expectancy. As a rule of thumb, the break-even age for waiting is usually around 80 years old. So, in other words, if you are going to you know, live past 80, and if there was some way to know that, then hey, <laughs> you'd make it, you'd win. <laughs> but really, most of us have more stories than, than not that we have seen friends, co-workers, family members die well before reaching 80. So, you might be skeptical about living that long, especially... If you, um, you know, let's say you've already had a serious health issue, you know, trying to wait out for some sort of a uh, 8% gain might just be a, a bigger loss. Yeah, so we've had four reasons so far to take your Social Security check earlier. Linda, how about a fifth one? All right. I'm going to tell you the fifth one, but I'm going to also announce if you have a question and you'd like to schedule an appointment, call us at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. We'll schedule an appointment with you. And when you come, you'll receive one of three books, Wealthy Barber, Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth, or The Middle Class Millionaire. And visit our website at Doug and Linda. Dot com. All right. So the fourth reason is fifth. Th- the fifth reason is Social Security saves on taxes. So a dollar withdrawn from an IRA account is taxed as ordinary income. And the more money that's withdrawn, the higher the income tax rate will be for you. But retirement income from Social Security is initially tax free. And even if you have enough income to eventually make the Social Security payments taxable, only 50% or 85% of the payments will be taxable, depending on your total income and your marital status. So that means that when you receive a dollar in Social Security payments, your tax bill will be the same as if you were to receive 85 cents, 50 cents, or nothing from your IRA. Powerful reason, the fifth one. Powerful reason. Sixth reason I can think of is I don't know, I hate to say it this way, it sounds a little crude, but get it when you can. The Social Security Administration trustees estimate that the program's current surplus could be exhausted in 20 years. Those who are eligible for Social Security might want to take their slightly reduced benefits today rather than waiting years to receive a check that could be reduced if the Social Security runs out. 
You know, that's a really good reason. And the last one is probably my favorite. Preserve funds for the future. When you live off of liquid assets, instead of tapping Social Security, you're giving up the use of the spent dollars forever. That money might otherwise come in handy for an unforeseen, uncovered family medical emergency or some other negative or positive event that requires a larger sum. So definitely lots to think about, lots of reasons to come see us as certified financial planners to find out what your particular individual situation might need and what kind of timing you might have for taking Social Security. Call me, Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner at Lewis Financial Management. Call me at 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. All right, I think we have a caller on hold. Let's take John's call. John, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Yes, Doug. My grandson, I took out an UGMA for my grandson, and he's on his way to college. And uh, I want to know what's the best way for him to take it out. He's 18. All right, so this is a uniform. This is an UGMA, not an UTMA. A UGMA, not a UTMA. Uniform. Yes, sir. A UGMA account, uniform gift to minors account, is different from a UTMA, a uniform transfer to minors account. Now, if it is a UGMA, then legally at eighteen, the money is his. Right. Okay. All right. Now, your question is, how does he take it out? Yeah, how best to take it out. Well, what does he want to do with it? Well, it's it's subject to change as far as the stock market is concerned. And so rather than lose a certain amount, he just want to take it and put it in another type account. Okay, so how old is, uh, how much money is in the UGMA? About 15000 All right, so the first thing is, He can take that money out. As a matter of fact, it is legally his or, and we have done this many a time with our clients when this has occurred, we have just changed the ownership from, let's let's say the boy's name is is Johnny. We've changed the ownership from UGMA to Johnny and it stays in the same investments. Well, he wants to get out of it because he doesn't want to be um, concerned about the changes in the stock market. Then it's and what, well, so he just wants to take the money and put it in the bank. Yeah. Well, there's no problem. You just you that just call up. Good. Where? Who's the broker? Where's the money? Where's the UGMA held? Axel. Axel. A X A. Axa. 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 The insurance people. Yeah. Yes. He just just call the broker and say that you want that he he that he he wants to get a check sent to him. And he can put it in a money market account, right? Well, he, yeah, or he could put it, get the check and do At what the he wants with it. There's the no state. there's no restrictions. It's legally his money now. Right. Now, he is subject to some taxation for state and federal? Well, I don't know what taxation. I mean, once the investment is sold inside the account, uh, I mean, what, what taxation would be investment? Yeah, there's Maybe nothing. Capital yeah. Gains, yeah, but... well, there's there's nothing he can do about any taxes. It's his money. No, no, I know it's nothing he can do, but it, is it subject to taxation? I don't think there's any tax he's going to pay on it. If it is, it would be at his tax bracket. How old is? I mean, how, what he's is 18. he? He's eighteen years old. Does he old. have a job? I mean, does he have any earned income? No. Well, then he's not going to have to pay any tax. Okay. 
I mean, the only thing I could think of would be capital gains well, if the investment inside were sold. But, no, but $15,000 yeah. capital gain tax at, at that income bracket is zero. I, yeah, I can't think of how, but I mean... I think you just want to but, put... First of all, John, I just want to say congratulations that your grandson's going to college. Yeah, I feel great about that. You know, I know you're just a proud grandpa. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is for you to take him out and either go out for pizza or something and put your arm around his shoulder and say, son, <laughs> grandpa saved this money for you. You need to be wise, right? right. Cause right, so he's on his way to Cornell. So yeah. Oh, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> Fireworks, congratulations. Yeah. Well, you've been very helpful. I do appreciate it. Well, John, if we can help you with any of your own financial planning questions, we would be very happy to do so. Are you a new listener? Have you listened for some time? No, I've been listening, and I've been so lazy trying to get some things together. I, I'm, I possibly will be calling you sometime once I get this lazy streak out of well, I might be able to help you with that lazy streak. I've got a little one of mine that uh, that pops up every now and then. Uh, but I will tell you the five things. If you jot down five things, this will help you. Okay. For you to meet with me, I need five things. Number one, I need a list of everything you own and everything you owe. Do you have any debts or, do you, or are you debt free? Debt current. Okay, no debts. So all you do is write down everything you own. And tax return. That could be, uh, well, just wait. Right. Let's mm-hmm. take them one by one. That okay. can be that can be on the back of a napkin, or it can be a financial statement. I just need a list of everything you own. Mm-hmm. That'd be your investments, your real estate, your home, any, everything you own. Okay. That's number one. Then number two, like Linda said, I need your last year's tax return. Number three, uh, are you retired? Yes. Okay. So you're... I need a projected income for the coming year, for the current year, for 2015. Projected income from Social Security and uh, whatever investments. Retirement you have, income, yeah, uh, pensions. Yeah, all your income sources. Uh, I just need a ballpark number there. Okay. All right. Uh, for you and yeah, for, your wife. Mm-hmm. Number now, four. Linda, I believe you said something about having a starter kit for... Getting this stuff together. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm giving you, I'm giving you what's going to be in the starter okay. kit. Yes, okay. I am. All right. So I've covered three of them. The fourth one is a list of your expenses, and that's usually the hardest. So in my starter kit, Linda will send you a list of every kind of possible expense, and you just do your best at throwing those numbers in there. If you, if it, if if your expenses are hard for you, and a lot of clients, it's hard for them. Mm-hmm. But you just do your best. It doesn't have to. It's not. It's not urgent. Do your best, uh, so we know what your needs are. So and now we got those five. We got those four things: a list of everything you own, your tax return, your projected income for the current year, and your expenses. And the fifth one I don't need because you're a retiree. That would be a pay stub, but I don't need that one. The because, quarterly estimates. Yeah, but taxes, I don't. I, I don't yeah. need that, Linda. All right. And if you would like. Linda will send you that little starter kit that you go ahead and fill in those. And then you call us back and schedule an appointment to meet with me or meet with Deborah. And we will cover every one of your financial questions you've got. Okay. That sounds good. Well, 
John, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You're a special listener, and we appreciate you calling tonight. Okay, thank and, you. All right, and have a great week. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Use some pretty sophisticated, unique Um, interesting techniques in our office when it comes to financial planning. And one of the areas of financial planning is estate planning. And especially in estate planning, we have to think about multi-generations and also, do you really need it? And if you don't, what do you do with it? So when we talk about inheritance from either the, the client's point of view that might be wanting to leave something to their heirs, or maybe they don't need it themselves, there's this whole issue of what, how would you pass on an inheritance? How would you disclaim it if you didn't need it yeah the matter excuse me the matter of disclaimers is very very powerful and it is very sophisticated we do an awful lot of it in our office but for some financially sound heirs disclaiming your right to an inherited ira could be a smart strategy that is for some families what's happening here is by disclaiming the heir waives the right to the assets left to him It's the legal equivalent of playing dead. So when a person takes this action, the disclaimed portion of the inheritance is passed on automatically to either a designated co-beneficiary or a secondary beneficiary. All right. So say your mother named you as the heir of a $4 million brokerage account and the primary beneficiary of a $2 million IRA. She dies and you disclaim the IRA, which passes to your son who is the secondary beneficiary. But the IRA will not be part of your taxable estate when you die. So even if your estate is far below today's high threshold, the strategy still has a place in estate planning. It does. Often, disclaiming can reduce the family's overall income tax burden. For for instance, let's say that you're in the 35% tax bracket and you inherit an IRA. You'll need to take the required minimum distribution annually at your tax rate. But if you disclaim and your daughter, who pays only, let's say, a 15% rate, if she inherits the IRA instead, the tax bite will be lower. So not only will she pay taxes at a lower rate, but her annual required minimum distributions are going to be smaller and the account can be growing tax deferred over her life expectancy, which can be many decades. And very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. And Doug, you know, in some cases, a surviving spouse can be able to use some of the money even after she disclaims it. That's right. A surviving spouse could disclaim to a trust, which we've done recently. Yes, sir. Set up for the children. The trust would be for the benefit of the spouse while still living and then go on to the kids. That's yeah. really outstanding, isn't it? It's, it really is. It's very powerful, especially when you're thinking of financial planning amongst several generations. Generational exactly. planning. The rules for saying this no thanks to my inheritance can be a little bit you know, complicated, so you need to meet with a certified financial planner. Don't want to try and figure this out on your own. But before disclaiming the IRA, make sure that the people you want to get it will get it. You cannot direct who will get the IRA. Check to see if there are any other primary beneficiaries or contingent beneficiaries named. If you are a primary beneficiary and disclaim, those other named beneficiaries are going to be next in line. Yeah, and I love doing, I I like using disclaimers in our office for a lot of our investment portfolios for our clients. If you think that you might disclaim the IRA, then what you want to do is not take possession of it. Don't withdraw any money 
or change investments because if you do, you lose the right to disclaim. Yeah. And you have to disclaim within nine months after the owner died. At that time, you can choose to disclaim maybe just a part of the IRA. So the disclaimer is another powerful tool in the quiver uh, of comprehensive of, financial planning. Which is what we do at Lewis Financial Management all day, every day of the week. As Linda said, we're here to go ahead and help you. That's right. And if tonight's any of these situations have sounded like yours and you didn't either have time or want to call in for yourself, definitely please do so. Give us a call at the office. Um, many times on Monday, um, I'm, I'm answering calls to people who are saying, you know what? I heard that scenario. It sounded like me. Here's my question. So give us a call during the week, 919-872-7000. Are there any matters that you could bring to our listeners regarding investment planning? Well, investment planning. You know, Linda, in today's complex financial marketplace, mutual funds offer investors a simpler, less expensive, and less time-consuming method of investing in stocks, bonds, government securities, than trading them individually. To understand mutual funds, let's explore six features. First, simplicity. Investors invest in the fund, and fund managers invest in the securities. So the first feature is simplicity. A second feature of mutual funds is diversification. By pooling shareholder dollars and spreading them over dozens of securities, the mutual fund can diversify its holdings. A diversified portfolio reduces risk should some investments turn sour and increases the chance of picking up potential winners. It's the old principle of not putting all your eggs in any one basket. So the second feature is diversification. A third feature is choice. A mutual fund investor has more options than ever before. Stock mutual funds, bond mutual funds, government bond mutual funds, tax-free mutual funds to satisfy all outlooks from the most conservative to the most aggressive. Of course, generally speaking, intelligently assumed risk increases the opportunity for greater return. Mutual fund investors select a fund with an investment objective that most closely matches their own. For example, they may want to maximize their current income or maximize long-term growth, or they may want some combination of growth and income. In addition, specialized funds are available. For instance, those that invest only in certain geographic regions of the U.S. or of the world or certain industries like healthcare, technology, or energy. There are even funds that have adopted certain social criteria for people who only want to invest in areas of the economy designed to help humanity. So the third feature of a mutual fund is choice. The fourth feature of a mutual fund is professional management. Once you've selected a mutual fund with your objectives, the investment decisions are made by the fund managers. These professionals decide when to invest the money. Money managers make these decisions based on extensive ongoing economic research into the financial performance of individual companies or individual bonds, taking into account general economic and market trends. After analyzing all this data, the manager chooses investments that best match the fund's objectives. As economic conditions change, the fund may adjust the mix of its investments to adapt a more aggressive or more defensive posture. So the fourth feature is professional management. A fifth feature is flexibility. While some investors prefer to pick a single fund and stick with it for many years, others look for a family of funds, a number of different mutual funds with different objectives all under one roof. In a family of funds, investors can switch from one fund to the other as their objectives change. 
For example, they might want growth of capital during their early years and then later at retirement want income from their fund. In a family of funds, they might have had a growth fund for years and now with a telephone call, switch to a government bond fund paying monthly checks. Or they might have an interest in international investing and switch to a fund investing in European companies. So the fifth feature is flexibility. The sixth feature is liquidity. Mutual fund investors can cash in all or part of their shares at any time at that day's price. The fund is always ready to buy back the shares at the net asset value quoted in the daily papers. Basically, mutual funds offer just about something for everyone. Whatever your objectives, safety or income or growth or tax savings, mutual funds probably have something for you. If you've been curious about mutual funds, I hope my comments have helped. Remember, seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, just give me a call at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. And remember, your financial future is at stake. Well, Doug, let's take our next caller. All right, let's take Patrick's call. Hey, Patrick, how can we help you this evening, Patrick? I have a question. I um, I gifted some stock, and I sold it this past year. So I'm trying to figure out the cost basis. Um, if I was gifted the stock, does the cost basis go back to when the person first bought it, or is it to the price that they gifted it to me at? All right, let me see. How much How much stock were you given? Um, over the years, you know, um, a fair amount, you know. Somewhere, you know, thousands, you know, 60,000, 100,000, something like that. Well, <laughs> number one, no, I don't know. And number two, what do you mean 60,000, 100,000 over the years? Give me something to work with. Say, say uh, 60,000. Oh, you were given 60,000 at one time? No, or? no, over the years. Over the years. And now you're holding this stock and you want to know if you sell it, what happens? Is that your yeah. question? All right. The. Where did the stock come from? Was it purchased, but was it your father's stock? Yeah, for instance, yes. Okay. If your father gave you the stock, then he, whatever he paid for the stock is his cost basis. He gave you his cost basis also. So let's say that he gave you $60,000 of stock that he only paid $2,000 for. Then you sell it today for 60000 you pay capital gains on 60 minus 2 is $58,000. And so the capital gain is on the difference between his basis and your sale price. Okay. Yeah. So do they keep records of all that or do you have to be the one? Who's the they? Uh, the company that holds the stock that, that you then sell. Well. A, a bank, for instance, um, Bank of America, whoever. Sometimes you can get records, sometimes you can't. The IRS insists that you document and prove whatever you put down there. So it's really uh, the onus is on you to go ahead and prove it, uh, or they will assume that there is no cost basis and that uh, you pay the whole thing in capital gains. So uh, each company is different, and I can't give you a general answer on that okay. one, Patrick. I appreciate it. Oh, you're sure welcome. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks for calling, Patrick. 
You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.